Hello everyone, it's Andy here. This is not a paid advertisement, so please do not skip this. This is in conjunction with the registered UK charity, Beauty's Legacy. Beauty's Legacy are a fabulous charity, which I personally love. They look to find and reunite missing pets with their loved families. And today I want to highlight for them one missing pet. She is called Millie. She's an eight-year-old black, small-built greyhound, and she has grey inflects in her coat and a grey muzzle. She also has a small white spot to her chest and white to bottoms of her feet. When she went missing, she went missing from her home in the Rossington area of Doncaster, DN11. She's been missing since the 29th of July, 2023. She has a red tartan collar on. Now, there is a reward. Please, let's help reunite her with her family for Christmas. I am going to put the poster out on our, all our social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please contact Beauty's Legacy directly, because they are coordinating the, the hunt for Millie. Their telephone number is 07-866-026-343. Even the smallest bit of information has been known to find the animals and lead them back to their owners. Remember, there is a reward for finding Millie, and no questions will be asked. All we want is a safe return of Millie to her family. Thank you all, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday period, and let's help get Millie home for Christmas. Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Picture the Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Each week we delve into the murky world of lesser known crimes from the UK and Ireland and occasionally we venture into renowned cases from around the globe. Now if you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer, subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice and if you have the capability, Give us a rating and review as well. It means a well to us. Doesn't it, Rachel? Oh, we love re- hearing from you. We love reading the reviews. We love, yeah, we we get, you know, uh, a little sparkle and twinkle in our eyes every time we get one. Yes, exactly. Um, and as, sorry, if you like. <laughs> I put him up there, didn't like, I, guys? She did. If you like us that much that you want to support us and see us carry on doing this for the foreseeable, then please do head over to Patreon where you can support us for as little as £1 a month. We have bonus content and episodes depending on your tier and it really does help us carry on. Oh, okay. sorry, I was taking a drink. I love it. You always put me on the spot whenever I take a drink. Uh, yes, Andrew, we want to be here for a good uh, for a long time, not just a good time. Woo-hoo. Exactly. But... And with any true kind podcast, listener discretion is always advised. And today, there is definitely no exception. With a title like Revenge, I don't think you can imagine there would be any. I was just about to say that. We've there been spending go. too long together. We have indeed. Um, now, we do, where possible, now release episodes a week early for our Patreon supporters. 
So if you want to hear next week's episode today, just head over to Patreon and it's there waiting for you already. So how are you doing, Rachel? And before you answer that one, don't you find it? It's a little bit weird. It's less than a week into December by the time this gets out. But in real life, we've not even had trick-or-treaters come to our door yet. Oh, ho, ho. Um, it is weird because, yeah, it's there's a lot of pre-recording going on, guys. And I'm not, not going to lie, like, there's quite a tight time frame between script turnaround. And uh, we obviously record quite early in the morning before we start work as well. And these early mornings are, are wrecking me. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, it's um, I, I'm definitely like, like I love the fact that we've planned ahead, um, but yeah, it's going to be weird that, and hopefully you put some Christmas bells or something on these episodes, but definitely weird that we're talking about Christmas and we've not even had uh, Halloween yet. Yeah, I believe this one comes out on the nineteenth of December, if my maths is right. So yeah, it's a bit weird, oh, so wow. close to Christmas, super close. But yeah, so how have you been then? Yeah, just generally speaking. Yep. Well, I'm all being well at the time of pre-recording. I still have six weeks to go, but all being well at the time of release. I will have um, a baby lying in my arms, hopefully uh, sleeping so that I can get some rest as well. Um, but yeah, all good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Just good. Uh, I'm sparkly. I'm like a, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like a solder stream machine on like 10 up to 11. Oh, I, I don't have a soda stream machine, but I take it eleven is the top number. It's a sp- it's a reference to Spinal Tap where they go with you know the volumes is always one to ten. And it goes, oh, right, like yeah. our our machine turns up to eleven. No, I, I'm getting old. Ignore that. What's the spi- uh, What's the Spinal Tap? It's a mockumentary uh, film about a rock band from like the 1970s or 80s or something. So yeah, that's not. Let's not talk about age. <laughs> okay. The question I have, though, are you ready for some true crime? Yes, definitely more ready for some true crime than I am a Spinal Tap mockumentary. So the last episode I did was a well-known case. And last week, Rachel, you did a lesser-known crime. So I thought I had to bring some balance back to the world again. And this case, I believe, hasn't been covered before, before by any other pod. But if I'm wrong, please do let me know. I'm often wrong. But I couldn't find it anywhere. Oh, okay. So if it's yes. So if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. Today I'm taking us back to the 28th of September 2019. And it was only just the 28th, because it was six minutes past midnight, and we're in Ilford. Now Ilford is a town in East London, some nine miles roughly from the centre of London. And it's a population of around 170,000 people, roughly. It's mainly a residential area, and it's been in existence for at least around 500 years. Started life as a small village before developing into the bustling town within London that it is today. You don't just come here for your true crime um, facts and knowledge. You come here for your local township knowledge from um, Mr. Ogden. You do indeed. and it's a little Always bit learning. A little bit more history. It's probably well known for two things. Firstly, the only complete school of a mammoth was discovered there. And also, John Logie Bird. Do you know who he is? I know Yogi Bear. No, John Logie Bird was the person who invented the television. And he began inventing it 
in Ilford. And two, he had to leave because he got sick. And then I believe he went to Brighton, but I could be wrong. Oh. Um, what, what Was the healthcare better in Brighton? Well, back in those days, it was all about fresh air, wasn't it? Oh, okay. Okay, got you. So on this day in September of 2019, it was just after midnight and it was dark, quite obviously, and it was quite windy with a strong northeasterly wind blowing, but it was dry and relatively warm, around 12 degrees Celsius, which is 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Though there was no television watching taking place by Atik Rami and his friend who were in a car just after midnight on Cortland Avenue in Elford. Cortland Avenue is a residential street made up of large terrace houses on either side. And even though it was just in the very early hours of a Saturday, a weekend day, it would still have been very quiet. Now, Atik and his friend were sat in the front two seats of the car. Atik in the passenger side and his friend, being a driver, also obviously in the driver's side. When a, <laughs> when a, I don't know why I said that. Uh, when a group of masked men approached the car and started firing, hitting both of them. Now, two of the attackers, one on each side of the car, after the shots had ended, then attempted to attack Atik and his friend with a machete each. His friend being struck, but Atik managed to climb into the backseat of the car and avoid the machete attacks. Oh, wow. They'll get into it straight away. So the gang then quickly spread, sped away in their car that they arrived in. So residents in the area phoned the police up straight away when they heard gunshots and the police, both the armed response squad and the normal police and an ambulance, attended the scene. Now, amazingly, both men survived. The extent of the injuries, I don't know what it was because it wasn't reported on. And we also, if either Atik or his friend recognised any of the men, and it's generally believed that they did, or at least some of the men, they never informed the police who they were. So the police would put out an appeal in the media on that Saturday, which was picked up by a couple of national papers, but it was never reported on again, and no one would ever be arrested for the case. So I know what you're probably thinking. Well, that's not much detail, and you're right, it's not. But that's not the case I'm looking at today. That just gives you all a little bit of context for the case I want to get into which I will do now. So I want to skip forward a few months in 2019 to the end of the year, to 19th of November. And we're staying in the same area, so there's no need to start talking about mammoths again, but this time we're heading off to Burnside Road in Dagenham, which is next to Ilford. It's 10pm, it's Tuesday, it was dry with not much wind, but it was very cold. The temperature around 3 degrees Celsius, which is 24 degrees Fahrenheit. Sharik Khan, who was 19 years old and lived in Percy Road in Ilford, pulled up in a red Peugeot to pick up Mohammed Usman Mirza, who was also 19, and he liked to be called Usman. So we're going to go with that. They had arranged to meet with the expectation that they'd go to commit a robbery together. So with that in mind, the red Peugeot car that they were both now in was stolen to help hide their identities. When they were driving towards a destination, Pearsley Gardens, which is in Ilford, they were followed by a white Chevrolet Captiva, which was also stolen. And that had a group of men inside of it intent on only one thing, and that was to kill. 
They were all armed with knives and ready to do so. The men inside of the car were Tyler Moore, 19, from Lawson Close in Ilford, Hassan Riaz, 20, from Hampton Road in Ilford, and Omri Thompson, who was 16 at the time, from Northbrook Road in Ilford. So everyone was local and everyone knew each other. Now, Usman and Sharik pulled up in the car at Hersley Gardens some 15 minutes after Usman had gotten in the car, with Usman believing they were going to commit a robbery. The other stolen car quickly pulled up next to them, and the three men jumped out of the car, and along with Sharik, who was in the car, started attacking Usman with their knives. They started stabbing him. Now, somehow, Usman managed to get out of the car and start running, swiftly followed by the four men, who were still intent on killing him. He managed to make it into an alleyway near Owen Waters' house, but they caught up with him and repeatedly stabbed him before making their escape. Now, he managed to make it to the nearby block of flats called Owen Waters' house, and he collapsed in front of it. He mustered up enough dying energy to call his cousin, and he told his cousin, and also a witness who was there at the time, that Tiger from Ilford, now... Tiger was a nickname that Shiri Khan had, the person who was in the car with him. So he told his cousin that Tiger from Ilford had set him up and stabbed him. Mm-hmm. So despite an air ambulance being called, he would be pronounced dead at 10.53pm that evening outside of, of a block of flats. After the attack, four other men, Moish Bangesh, who was 26, Jonathan McHenger, aged 25, London Becker, 18, and one other man, and they were all from Ilford. They met up at a local Domino's pizza shop before going on to a local massage parlour to meet up with the four men who had actually taken part in the actual stabbing. Now they'd met up to debrief, to discuss what had happened, how it happened, to congratulate each other, and to make sure they ticked off all of the boxes in their planning so that they wouldn't be caught. Because of age. Make no mistake, they most definitely put a lot of planning into this. Mm. But before we get into that, now how did we get here? I mean, obviously, you can take a guess to it being linked to the shooting from the start of the episode. Why else would I bring that up? But why or how? Any idea, Rachel? No. (laughs) No, I'm not going to lie. It's been... um... There's been a lot of information up front uh, on this particular case. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the title of the episode, Revenge, like, will link in somewhere to it, but I'm looking forward to hearing more. Well, you're right, Rachel. It was a simple case of revenge. All of the men involved were associates or friends of Atik Rami. Do you remember the man who I mentioned at the start of the show who yeah. got shot? yeah. It seems that he thought he had recognised Osman as one of the men who attacked him. Interestingly, while he never said anything to the police about who he thought had done it, Osman was the prime suspect for them, for the police, and they were looking for him in order to question him. Now, they never revealed why they thought it was him, and obviously he died, so it was never proven. But I think it's interesting that they both, the police and Atik, they both came to the same conclusion, albeit with different sources for their belief. That's interesting, don't you think? Yeah, I was going to say as well, though, 
when things like this happen, isn't there a lot of like word on the street? Obviously not towards the police because communities tend to shut down, don't they? And and not not necessarily go to the the police when there's people to be caught or crimes that are like incredibly violent because they don't want to get caught in the crossfire, do they? Or be seen as a snitch or whatever. But um, definitely from Atik's perspective, there would have been mumblings, wouldn't there? Yeah. Um, I I feel, and 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 people would have wanted to put their claim on that. Sorry, got the hiccups again. On that attack. Yeah, people would have wanted to put their claim on that attack, wouldn't they? So um, it's like a badge of honour, isn't it? Um, yeah, uh, but that's, what, that's what I mean. That's why I find it interesting that as he came to his conclusion, probably right for that reason. But the police managed to come to the conclusion that it was the same person. On the and same ha- page, yeah. Yeah, how would they even know that? It's interesting. It's a shame that we never found out why the police thought it was him. But I, guess I wonder could... whether there was an informant along the lines. You know, like mm, when there's, been, um, yeah. yeah, there's quite often quite long term um, informants in these gangs, aren't there? Like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, it could have been a good idea. Yeah. So I do need to put out there though that Atik was never arrested, he was never charged, <laughs> or even any indication that he was involved in this in a killing of Osman. So while you all may come to your own conclusions. And I obviously can't stop you coming to whatever conclusion you want to. We can't say that he was ever involved in any of this. Oh, wow. Okay. We can think what we like, but we can't say it. So, not that I'm thinking anything. The men I'm talking about, though, most certainly were involved. And they did think it was him. So the simple reason why he was killed was revenge. But a lot of planning went into this. Firstly... Both Sharik Khan and Jonathan McEngo were both friends of Atik, but they were associates of Usman. They both became friendly with Usman to be able to monitor his routine and keep the whole group updated on his movements and thoughts, and they both played a key part in this murder. In roughly the six weeks leading up to the murder, from the 5th of October until the day before, the 18th of November, Several cars were stolen by different members of the gang in order for them to scope out all possible areas involved in the killing. Not only the actual place they would kill, but also the getaway routes and where they would switch cars to avoid detection. So immediately after the attack, once they had gotten away, both the Red Peugeot and the White Chevrolet were both set on fire to hide evidence. With telephone calls being made to the people who were not there to come and pick the others up, before dropping them off. And all of this was done with stolen cars. Now, burning mobile phones were used, and you're going to love this bit, Rachel. I know you will. Burning mobile phones were used, and also it shows a great bit of knowledge about evidence. Dummy phone calls were made to the real phones of people involved who were they placed in different places around London to make it look like they were elsewhere at the time of the attacks and immediately after the attack. Oh, wow, that is clever. Because, like, how often do you and I talk about, like, the stupidity of criminals committing crimes in, in this modern age, like, you know, post-2010, whatever, um, with, like, phones being off cell towers, phones being on and on the move between, you know, crime scenes and people making calls and texts and thinking, oh, yeah, if I if I delete them, they'll they'll completely be erased. But 
yeah, these guys are, are pretty knowledgeable and uh, obviously giving the police the runaround because they'll be looking in, you know, they'll be looking at certain areas that they're not they're not even in, but they've been clever enough to place themselves at. Yeah, definitely. And it would it would later be proved that three of the three of the cars stolen were by Jonathan McKengo and a fourth he was still in possession of when he was arrested. Now his phone and the stolen car he was arrested in were later tracked to having been used in the reconnaissance of the site used to burn the white Chevrolet. And burned clothes in that car would later reveal it to have his DNA on them. Yeah. So using witness descriptions and identifications to help them get a base on who might be involved. And let's also not forget that he told his cousin, one of the people. And then also using the DNA evidence that was found, linking them to various cars used, CCTV evidence, and also mobile phone data of calls between them, and the tracking data, they were able to show all eight men were involved with who would be at the scene doing the actual stabbing and who would be helping to plan it. So all eight men would be arrested on suspicion of murder and taken to trial. So it's worth noting here where they were clever enough to make phone calls to the real phones. They were not clever enough to not have their phones with them when they were doing all the planning and reconnaissance and all the stuff like that. So, And then there was also links between the burner phones and the real phones. So then they could link the burner phones and track their burner phones to the location of the stabbing and whatnot. Yeah, so so like again, close but no cigar, isn't it? Like it, it is indeed. They're, they're ha- halfway there. The intentions are there, but they didn't quite get away with it, which is the, you know, a good thing for us because at the end of the day, despite enjoying it a little bit more when criminals are more savvy with things like that you still want them caught because you don't you want them off the streets don't you they've taken someone's life at the end of the day you do indeed and i guess the people who are savvy enough never get caught do they no so all eight men would be arrested on suspicion of murder and taken to trial now due to covid restrictions the older men would be tried together which is why I've gone over the details that came up in the various trials beforehand, just so I'm not repeating myself. The prosecution argued that the men who were there who committed the actual murder by stabbing Usman to death and the men who were not there but helped plan, that they argued were guilty of murder under joint enterprise. So they were just as guilty. Wow. And again, you know, the the amount of planning and premeditation that went into this, like, I don't know about you, but I completely agree with that, um, that, like, charge. Yes, I agree as well. None of the men taken to court would give evidence, with all the defences basically saying that they did not commit the crimes, with varying reasons as to why not, but it was all basically the same defence. Now, I'm going to start with the results, with the only person I've not named. Now, he was found not guilty, so I've chosen not to name him. And even though his name is out there in the public domain, if you really want to know his name, I've chosen not to. So next, let's move on to the 16-year-old on Amari Thompson. Are you going to tell us why he was found not guilty, or have you not even, like, 
dived into that. I'm sorry, he was found not guilty because the jury basically believed him that he wasn't involved. Okay, he... so his his defense was like, I wasn't there, I wasn't even involved in the planning. I've been caught up in this by complete accident. All of the defenses were basically it's split into two different ways. The people who were at the stabbing, the defenses were I were not I wasn't there. And any links is circumstantial. And the people who were not at the stabbings, including this one who got away with it, sorry, he was found not guilty. He obviously didn't do anything. But including this person, they all had varying degrees of links that could be proven circumstantially to the others. Phone calls, car tracking, stuff like that. There was no DNA of his found. And even though... There was some tracking could be found. The jury decided it wasn't enough that he was guilty of either murder or manslaughter. And there was no other charges brought. Sometimes there's other charges brought, isn't there? Like assisting an offender and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but but none of those were brought. So, so yeah, he was found not guilty. Okay, thank you. So, so now the 16-year-old, Amari Thompson, he was originally not allowed to be named because of his age, mm-hmm. but reporting restrictions were removed on that one and he was found guilty of murder with a minimum term of 15 years to be served on a life sentence. Wow. Okay. So the other three men who were there and stabbed him all were found guilty of murder and sentenced to life, with Tyler Moore getting a minimum term of 20 years, Sharik Khan, who was in the car with him, do you remember, with Usman? Mm-hmm. He got a minimum term of 25 years. And Hassan Riaz, a minimum term of 24 years. Jeez. So that guy that got not guilty was um, pretty fortunate, right? That Yeah. Well, he wasn't yeah, there. Yeah, because at... these are hefty sentences. Yeah, he wasn't there at the actual, um, at the actual stabbing. So... Stabbing, sorry. So, yeah. And so now for the other three men. Now, they were all found guilty. But what do you think? Murder or manslaughter, Rachel? I'm going to say murder. I feel like the judge was um, coming down on everyone pretty hard in this case. Well, you're right and you're wrong. Oh. London Becker, he would be found guilty. You love telling me when I'm wrong. He had a smile on his face. (laughs) Well, you're right, but you're wrong. I've got to take my small moments of pleasure in life. (laughs) Yeah, so London Becker, he would be found guilty of murder and be given life with a minimum term of 14 years. Now, Jonathan McKengo, he would be found guilty of manslaughter and be given a term of 16 years in prison with an extended license period of five years on his release. So he could potentially be out after two-thirds, but then he'd have to do the five years on on license afterwards. Now, Moise Bangesh would also be found guilty of manslaughter, but... Even though he would be found guilty of manslaughter, he would be given a life sentence. Oh, wow. unlike, unlike Jonathan, yeah, he would be given a minimum term of 14 years in prison. So often you see a life sentence for manslaughter, is it? No, absolutely. That's why I was so shocked. So the question, the question is, then, why a life for him, but not Jonathan? Can't you think why, Rach? Oh, um... Has he got past criminal convictions, history? No, no. It, it was simply due to the level of involvement. Moise was actually acting as a friend of Osman. Without his connection to, to him, the attack 
would have been a lot more difficult or possibly not even possible at all. Okay. And, al- and also after the attack, he was the one who booked a massage parlor so that he could debrief. He was the one on the phone to Usman constantly up to the attack to make sure nothing unexpected would happen. And it was on actually on the phone to him right up until minutes before the attack. Now, do you remember that Usman called his cousin as he was dying? Yep. Well, he was the one that his cousin called straight afterwards. Because remember, they all thought he was his friend. And his cousin wanted him to help him find Usman because he was in trouble. And then even though he never found him with his cousin, when he knew all along where he was, all this time he was with the cousin, who was also relaying the information that he was getting back to the others at the massage parlor just before joining joining them at about half past midnight. Mm. And obviously all that information was feeding the yeah. fire. It was fueling the fire, right? So, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely, that makes sense. And, and even up to 2.40 a.m., so his cousin would have known he was dead by now, Osman. He was still in contact with Osman's cousin to get information out of him. So, yeah, so that's why the judge basically said, without you, it wouldn't have happened. So, life, even though you got manslaughter. So, all men, with the exception of the last two, Jonathan and Moez, they would accept their sentences, with those two appealing the sentences, not the conviction. Mm. So, they were still accepting they were involved, but they appealed the sentences. Now, they would argue that the judge was wrong to determine that they were both dangerous enough to warrant an extended sentence for Jonathan and a life sentence for Moise without seeking advice from either the prosecution or defence. Oh, wow. So the appeal judges, they agreed that it was wrong in principle to conclude that either of the men were dangerous simply due to the judge's opinion without any type of report because there wasn't even a pre-sentence report. The appeal judges stated that given that the jury couldn't conclude this, hence the manslaughter, not murder, so the the appeal judges said even the jury couldn't state that they were dangerous, it would be wrong of the judge to conclude that they were dangerous also. Now, the defence barristers, they also argued several other findings of the judge, that the appeal judges did reject based around the facts of the case. So let's go back to that one point that the appeal judges agreed on, dangerousness. They said... Dangerousness. Sounds like you made up a word there. Sounds like you made up a word, yeah. Dangerousness. I probably have. Is it a real word? Oh, no. Go for it. No, I just... I like the word, sorry. That's okay. I just... Sometimes I do think I make words up. (laughs) Yeah. Not just a podcast host guy, a, a walking, talking word maker too. Yes. So they said that while it was wrong what the judge did, this was an organised revenge attack, meticulously planned over weeks and remorselessly executed by a large group of men, and each person played an intrinsic and significant role in it. They agreed with the judge that Moise was a significant organiser of the plan, and they also said that he made sure that he wasn't there at the actual attack to try to shield himself from conviction. So they came to the conclusion that Moise's life sentence was not incorrect, even with the judge's finding. 
But they did claim, though, they did state, though, that the judge did make one error of calculation of aggravating factors. So its correct sentence should be life with a minimum term of 12 years, not 14. Oh, wow, okay. I've just realised that I never stated what joint enterprise is. Um, No, you didn't, but we we have discussed it before on the pod, but by all means, please go ahead and do it again. So it's just for just for our listeners, if you haven't heard us say it before, it's basically where you get one or more people who are involved in the actual crime and one or more people who are not involved in the actual committing of the crime but involved in the planning who were equally responsible so they can be tried equally responsible for the for the crime, if that makes sense. Yeah, even though they're not holding the knife. Yes. They were culpable just as much as the person holding the knife in committing the killing. Yes, exactly. So, as for Jonathan, the appeal judges also found that the judge made the same mistake with him. And his term should be 14 years, not 16, with an extended license of four years, not five. So, Rachel, there we have it. A gangland revenge attack for what was gangland attack in the first place in the heart of London. So what do you think of that case, Rachel? I mean, I find it really hard to stomach that someone's died. Always do. If he was responsible for the original attack, you know, he had an intention to kill with the gunshots and the machete, right? You'd assume so, wouldn't you? Yeah, so it like that's a big if because obviously, as you've alluded to, it's never proven. It's just that there was a massive inkling from both the police and the the um what do we call him the because he was never convicted of anything. Um, perpetrator? No, can't even call him that. Why well, it, it was a the um suspect. Yeah, suspect. Yeah, okay. Um, there was always like a feeling that they had that it was him. So, oh, it's it's difficult. I don't I don't think any, but potentially no innocent person has died here, but someone still has died. So it's it's just a a sad case to be talking about because someone's lost their life. But it is, yeah. Mm, yeah, I, I'm not being very eloquent. I'm sorry, Andrew. It's really difficult in these kind of like gang. Uh, related incidents, isn't it? Yeah, the reason the reason I wanted to bring this case up, Rachel, was for a few reasons. Firstly, joint enterprise, I think, is fascinating because it's a lot less common here than it is in the States. And secondly, just around the fact that it's gangland attacks on each other, mm. like about 60% of our listeners are not in the UK. Yeah. So therefore, rightly or wrongly, Sometimes the UK is portrayed a little bit different in the films and TV than it actually is. So I wanted to portray that. Yeah, we do have gangs. Yeah, you don't really, you don't really associate gangs in the UK. But unfortunately, a lot of the awful killings where people are caught in the crossfire of two gangs, they they do happen here so commonly, don't they? Yeah, and all these people are young. I mean, two of them were twenty five and twenty six. The rest were aged between 16 and 19. Mm, so young. Yeah. Um, so. 
In interestingly, you said joint enterprise isn't as common here as it is in the US. There are some states in the US where, like, regardless of of what role you played in that crime, so even if the police don't have, like, all of the evidence that displays that you were as culpable as the person that shot, pulled the trigger, or 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 like thrust the knife, um, it, even if you helped get them you know, from A to B in order to commit the crime, they are equally as culpable in some states, aren't they? Joint yeah. enterprise is just a blanket. You know, if 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 you did anything to facilitate this criminal, and and for instance, I know we've spoken about it on the pod before, that goes as far as somebody that serves a pint of beer or a glass of wine to someone that then goes on to drive, drink, drive, and kill someone, that person behind that bar in certain states can also be done for the death of the the victim. That's mad, isn't it? It is mad, yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting way to look at it because it would make you more careful. But I guess, though, it would make the people who genuinely didn't want to be involved in a crime be more careful. But I don't think it would have much impact on the people who wanted to be involved anyway. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you're gonna drink drive, if that's in your DNA, because I do think that that is a decision that some people do consciously make. Not necessarily all, but most people do have that element of fuck it mentality when it comes to drink driving. Um, like, how is that bar man or woman gonna stop that? H- hard of like taking your keys off you as soon as you enter the bar, but then you've got to be a pretty brash barman or woman to do that haven't you i'm going to take your keys off you to make sure that i don't end up in prison tonight yeah exactly sorry i know we went off on a bit of a tangent there but i i find it baffling yeah it's interesting it's it's an interesting one so shall it's interesting as well that in this case both guns and knives, like bladed, I say bladed instruments because we have machetes as well, but both guns and bladed instruments for you. So it isn't a case of everyone having a gun, but it also isn't a case of guns don't exist in the UK. Oh, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. The um, the recent killings in um, Liverpool over the, um, n- not this Christmas, was it this Christmas just gone, actually? I think it was, L. Edwards. Christmas Eve. Oh, the little girl. No, she was the twenty-four-year-old. Um, no, I don't Christmas know Eve, midnight in a pub. She was outside having a cigarette. Got caught in crossfire with two Liverpool gangs. Uh, that was gun. And then um, Olivia Corbell Pratt, I think. Um, hopefully, I got her name right. I'm so sorry if I didn't. Um, but yeah, her her mum um heard commotion outside the front door. And came down the stairs to see what was going on. Her daughter was behind her mum. And these people just burst through the front door. And her mum got shot. The bullet went through her mum and into Olivia, um, wow. who died. Like, again, it was a gang-related crime in, in Liverpool. Got Reese Jones years ago now. But he three o'clock in the afternoon, he was crossing the car park after his football training, you know, with his with his bike on his way back home. Got shot um it's mad it it happens it does happen over here uh i say over here in in the uk 
Um, and it's and it's incredibly sad when it does, because quite often, and this is what I was trying to less articulately say earlier, quite often it's innocent civilians that are caught in the crossfire. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, shall I wrap this one up then, Rachel? Yeah, go for it. So this has been Season 4, Episode 4, called Revenge. And if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. In a society of almost 24-7 surveillance in our biggest cities, both in the UK and around the world, why exactly do people still think they can get away with murder if committed on the streets? Interesting question. It's an interesting question and one that we will never be able to answer. Exactly. So thank you, everyone. And until next week, take care and stay safe. Thanks, guys. Bye.